Hi, I'm Sarah. I have an awesome husband and three amazing stepdaughters. Marriage and parenting is already a juggling act, and blended family relationships are even more messy and fragile. We won't always get it right the first time, but if you're looking for encouragement, you're in the right place. Thanks for joining us as we grow closer as step families. Welcome to His Kids, Her Kids, Episode 10, Showing Love in Our Blended Family. After a long and successful career leading churches, ministries, and Elam Bible Institute and College, Mike Cavanaugh has launched the new ministry, Not Many Fathers. He is focused on the mentorship of the next generation of emerging Christian leaders. And today, Mike is sharing proven keys to showing love in our blended family. Mike, I know that you bring a lot of experience to today's episode. To start us off, would you share some of your personal and professional background and experiences with us? Well, Sarah, I uh, grew up in a very confused home life as a child. My parents split up probably when I was maybe four years old, and my mom was very unstable, and and my growing up years were very unstable. I lived in, I don't know, six or seven different places between kindergarten and fourth grade. I was very, things were very mixed up. I skipped school in the fourth grade for three weeks, wandered around in downtown Utica, New York, before I finally got caught and sent back. I, I, I just was, it was a very broken, hurting situation. I lived in foster homes, three or four different foster homes. And it was a very, very difficult situation. But uh, Sarah, where you and I have known each other in the past was I was your pastor uh, in a church, and I've worked with youth, actually, and as a pastor for many, many years. And uh, as a result of that, I've gained some experience, both in my own home and uh, in the lives of the young people I've been working with. It's been amazing to me as I've related to young people to find how many times they're in a place where they, they feel that they're not loved by their parents. I find that very strange, and one of the reasons I find that very strange is over the years, as I've gone to visit the homes of young people I was working with or that kind of thing, I would go and visit their homes and and talk with their parents. And if I had been going by what the kids had been saying, I would have thought these parents were you know, just horrible people or didn't care about their kids and this kind of stuff. But when I began to talk with the parents, I saw that's not the case at all. These parents deeply love their children. And so I struggled with this question, what is the problem? You've got a child over here that really wants to be loved and has a, has a cry for that in their heart. And then you have a parent over here whose heart is filled with love and wants to put that love into their child's heart. They, they want to make that happen. But the problem was that there were some skills that were missing from their lives some skills that enable a person to put the love that's in their heart into another person. And uh, so that's what I really thought would be great for us to talk to about today, because I thought maybe some of your listeners are in that kind of a situation. That is, they have tremendous love in their heart. The child in their life needs to be loved, but somehow there's a breakdown there, and the love is not getting from the heart into the person. We want to fill that child's tank. Uh, I remember one time when I was first learning how to drive, somebody loaned me this uh, foreign car, and uh, I was looking down. I could see from the gauge that it was running out of gas. I got out of the car, 
and uh, went to look for where to put the gas in. And uh, I couldn't find how to put the gas in the car. It was, you know, I'm walking around. What, you know, I couldn't figure it out. I went into the, to the gas station. I said, have you guys ever seen a car like this? I don't know how to put the gas in the car. What, what's going on? They walked around it. They looked behind the license plates. They opened up the trunk to see if that was how you did it, what happened. And then finally, one time as I went around, I noticed that one of the rear lights was different from the other. I put my hand on it, and, and it opened up, and there was the gas tank behind the light. I had the gas, I had the tank that was empty, but here was this gap. I couldn't figure out how to get it in. And I find that many parents and step-parents find themselves in exactly that kind of situation. Absolutely. And step-families have the additional challenges of uh, reduced time, often reduced time with the kids, and other loyalty issues like their own children at home and then stepchildren come occasionally or irregularly and then concerns about, you know, do you love me as much as your own children, but you're not allowed to be my parent. And just a lot of messages flying around and people not really sure how to communicate the truth in love. Yeah, that's. I think you're exactly right. And so anyway, I've, I've seen over the years, and I, I've identified basically seven different ways we can put love into the tank of those we care about. Now, I'm focusing this today on loving uh, our children or our stepchildren, but the reality is that these tools that I'm, I'm talking to you about can be used in many, they can be used in a marriage, they can be used in relationships with coworkers, they can be used in many different ways. How do I get the authentic affection, the authentic desire that's inside of me, how do I get it out in a way that the other person can receive it and uh, can be touched in some kind of a way? So that's what we're after. So there are seven different ones. I'll just go over all seven at one time here so that we can see where we're headed. And the, the seven different tools, seven different skills that we can use to touch people. So here they are. Number one is focused attention. Number two is eye contact. Number three is meaningful touch. Number four is affirming words. And number five, picturing a special future. Number six, building character and discipline into our children. And number seven, recognizing God's ownership of our children. So I'm going to take each one of these and kind of walk through them with you. Are you ready to go on this trip with me? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the first one here is focused attention. So what is focused attention? Full and undivided attention. This is the kind of attention that makes a person feel like they're the most important person in the world to you. Now, we've probably all seen or experienced something like this where a uh, husband is uh, sitting in a chair reading his newspaper or going over different news reports on his screen that he has in front of him. And uh, his wife comes up and, and is talking to him. And he doesn't break from the screen. He just keeps on there, but, you know, is listening. His wife says, are you even listening to me? Are you, are you, are you even listening to me? And he is able to repeat back for her the last two or three things that she said, showing that he is brilliant and able to handle both the screen and his wife 
at the same time. But the problem is he's missing the most important thing in that interaction. And the problem is not that he's not capable of doing multiple things at once and listening to the comments his wife is making, but it's that she does not feel listened to. That is, because he's not giving her the gift of focused attention, she doesn't feel listened to. And this is a, this is a very common issue that's, that is there. A lot of times, you know, we, we don't stop to give focused attention, just to stop in that way. I can remember when my kids were young, you know, I would be at work all day and I would come home at the end of the day from work. And my kids, they were so excited that I was home. They had planned my whole schedule for me when I got home. You know, daddy, you know, we want to show you our magic show. You know, uh, daddy, watch the play we made. Uh, daddy, can you play catch with me? And, and I'd be there going, oh, okay, honey, okay, honey, yeah, you know, after dinner, after dinner, we'll, we'll do that. I'm tired right now. And, and the excuses would grow and the time would pass and they just stop asking. And this is something that happens over and over and over again. If we don't learn the discipline of giving focused attention to the people that we care about, it's a stopping that has to take place. And of course, it goes along with some of the other things we're going to talk about, eye contact and other things like that. But, but focused attention, not, not thinking that because you're capable of doing multiple things at once uh, that you are brilliant, but realizing that as you're doing that, you're actually creating in the other person a sense that this person really doesn't care about me in a deep way. So that's a very powerful tool for connecting people. Another tool that's so important if we're trying to put love into another person's heart, especially in any kind of parenting, is eye contact. Very powerful. One of the greatest gifts you can give your child is generous doses of eye contact. And not only you giving them that, but doing what you can to teach them how to make eye contact, particularly with other adults. This is why the whole issue of teaching your child how to greet somebody is such a valuable thing. Why is that? Because if your child knows how to greet someone, they receive generous doses of approval and eye contact from other adults. And all of this goes into building their sense of self-esteem and this kind of thing. I, you know, I would work with my kids when they were little, how to shake hands with somebody and how to look somebody in the eye. And, and it was just so important. You know, a lot of times parents don't give their kids eye contact unless there's a reason. For example, they're doing something really well, and then they'll give them eye contact. So it's a kind of a, a reward, you know, that, that is given. Or, uh, or they'll give eye contact only when they're correcting the child. Look at me. Look at me right now. And, uh, and, and try to bring correction to the child in that way. Or sometimes parents even will withhold eye contact as a kind of a punishment. You know, that is the, the you know, you, you've done something to displease me. I can't even look at you right now. I won't even, I won't even give you my eyes in any kind of uh, way, in that way. And of course, this, all of this is damaging in the relationship. We want to use our eyes to bathe the child 
with love and connection, and uh, we want to teach them how to how, how to greet other adults and look other adults in the eyes so that they can also receive that, that affirmation from other adults in that kind of way, too. It's a very powerful thing, eye contact, and it's something that really strengthens relationships. A third tool for communicating in that way is this idea of meaningful touch. Very, very powerful. I think of the, there's a story told in the Bible of where Jesus touches a leper and heals him. And it's very interesting in the story because if if it was me, I would heal the leper and then touch him. But Jesus touches the leper and then heals him. And there's something so powerful about that contact in that way. If you've ever seen a child, that small child that gets hurt, and immediately they want to go to some place where they'll be hugged or held or rocked in some kind of a way, some, some connection in that way. Touch is so important in that moment. If you've ever seen a child that didn't have anybody around them that they could trust at that moment, and they got hurt, and they'll hold themselves. You'll see them put their arms around themselves and just kind of hold themselves and rock themselves, trying to bring comfort to themselves because of this tremendous touch hunger that they have. I grew up part of my childhood years in a foster home, and I can remember being in this foster home and at night laying in the bed and and I had two pillows, and I would take one pillow and I would put it under my head, and then the other pillow I would hold, I, I, I would hold next to me, and I would remember my mother holding me, and I would just lay there and I would hold the pillow as a source of, uh, just a source of comfort. It's it's a very powerful, very powerful thing. I understand they did a study where the doctors uh, that were at the hospital. And when they would have their little visits with them, as they would do during the day, they would put their hand on the patient and they would talk to them. And then other people, they went in and they wouldn't touch them at all. And when they went back and interviewed these uh, patients, they asked them, how long was the doctor with you? And the people that were touched thought the doctor was in the room twice as long as the people who were not touched. There was that connection that was there, meaningful a touch. Uh, There was one study done by UCLA that showed that for emotional health, a person needs to be touched eight to 10 times a day, Uh, meaningful touch in that way, eight to 10 times a day. I said that one time when I was uh, speaking to a group of people and uh, I saw this man lean over to his wife and put his hand up next to her head and, and, and hit her, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, he kind of whacked her on the head, <laughs> hit, her, hit her eight times and said, okay, you're taking care of her today, you know, but that's not meaningful touch. That's not what we're talking about here. So Mike, I have a question. Unfortunately, for a lot of blended families, touch could be a danger zone. There could be a lot of concerns when it comes to touch. What do you recommend for those step-parents out there that feel like they can't incorporate the advice that you're giving? Yeah, well, if it was my situation, first of all, it would be critical that my spouse and I be in agreement, right, with anything that happens as to what is appropriate. 
And then also that the child would never feel pressured or forced or anything along that level. And if I had the agreement of my spouse and the child was not having any sense of pressure, I would be giving that child a tremendous gift, both to be giving them eye contact and to be giving them meaningful touch. If people don't get these things in the right context, then they'll search for them anywhere they can get them. And so they find, they'll start searching for touch, maybe in places that are not really appropriate, not really healthy, not really beneficial. It has to be, it can be done in a way, even in a situation like that, that is properly guarded and monitored and there's good, strong communication going on between the people involved. But it's the, one of the greatest gifts that you could give to your stepchildren would be these eye contact, generous doses of eye contact and meaningful touch. Uh, I know Karen Purvis, who is an author I've mentioned before on this podcast, she recommends asking a child, you know, could we exchange a hug? Could I give you a hug? Would you mind giving me a hug? And having that question asked before a hug exchange. Again, I think that's a great way of reinforcing proper boundaries and a beautiful way of inviting that child into that relationship. You know, a lot of times kids are working through things, they're struggling through things, and it's up to the adult to be the adult, you know, in that exchange. I remember it's so easy for things to tap into insecurities in the adult that the adult ends up re responding, reacting like a child. I remember in my own family, my daughter, you know, came into her uh, teen years and she all at once got real, you know, she didn't want me hugging her and, and you know, just got real standoffish and, and that kind of thing. And because I myself had come from kind of a broken home, I took this as, as a, um, as kind of a, and a, 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 I took it very negative, took very personally, very negatively. It, it hurt me, you know, that my, my daughter doesn't want to hug me. What's going on in this situation? And then I had to just come to a realization. It took me a little while because at first I was kind of offended. Okay, you don't want to hug me? Well, fine. You don't have to hug me. You know, I was kind of offended in that way. But then I came to a place that I realized, you know what? I have got to be the grown up in this relationship and in this interaction. And I remember saying to my, I went to reach to hug my daughter and she kind of like, you know, uh, pushed away a little. And, and, uh, and I said to her, hey, honey, I don't have to hug you. That doesn't matter. But you always know this. Your daddy loves you 100%. He's always going to be for you. He's always going to be uh, with you. And uh, I'm always here for you. And just give her that, you know, just letting her know that, hey, things might be going up and down. You may be feeling things you haven't felt before. Who knows all that was happening? But I am here. I am your dad. I love you. I'm worth with you. That's beautiful. And, you know, maybe it's a good introduction to the, uh, to the fourth powerful tool that we have in uh, putting the love that's in our heart into the hearts of our children. And, uh, and it's, it's the power of affirming words. The book of Proverbs says, the tongue has the power of life and that death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We've all heard the expression, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But, you know, if you've been around it long, you, you realize that's just not the case, that words do hurt. Words hurt. Words destroy friendships. Words can rip apart a home. 
I find that many times adults hesitate to speak encouraging words to young people, uh, to their children or stepchildren that are in their, in their lives. And uh, there are different crazy reasons that they get into their minds on why they shouldn't be speaking affirming words, which are, which is really, you know, totally destructive. But you know, one idea I've heard people say is, is if I tell them I love them and and affirm them, they won't work as hard, you know. And and if they if, if I don't affirm them, they'll they'll try harder. And that is just not true. The truth is, the more connected and the more affirmed a person is, the harder they try. They want to live up to what you think about them. And there's something in them that it's it's not a case of where if I don't affirm them, they'll come. When you, when you hold the crown over their head, when you, when you say to them, boy, this is what I see in you. I see you could be this and become, become that and, and grow in these great ways. You hold the crown over their head and, and there's something in them that wants to fill that crown, that wants to rise to that. So affirming words can be very powerful. Uh, sometimes people hesitate because they're afraid that they're going to create an egotist. Like I, I remember when my, uh, my son Todd was a little guy, he was dressed in his Superma- Superman cape, flying around the house. And one time he said to me, he said, uh, Dad, why did David kill Goliath by throwing a stone at him? You know, and I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, David was just a little boy. He was fighting against a giant, you know. And he said, uh, he said, I would have killed Goliath just by running up to him and, you know, taking his sword and, you know, kill. kill. And, uh, and and so you think to yourself, well, I don't want to affirm this kid who he's going to go do something crazy. You know what I mean? He's like, uh, he thinks he can do anything here. But you know what I discovered? You don't have to hold back your affirmation because life will flatten people. Uh, just daily life, just getting along, just connecting. There are enough discouraging things and difficult things that happen. I don't have to worry about creating an egotist. Life will take all the ego out of people. It'll knock them down. You know, uh, you can say some something encouraging without a person, and this is another reason I find people hesitate to encourage. They say, well, you know what? They're not the biggest, and they're not the fastest, and they're not the strongest when they're looking at their kids. But what about a personal best? What about high integrity? What about the level of commitment that they've demonstrated? There are things that you can speak over a person that can be very, very powerful and affirming. Prison evangelist Bill Glass once made this statement. He said, 90% of the people in prison were told by their parents repeatedly, someday you will be in prison. Someday you'll be in prison. They were told that by their parents. And uh, a f- word spoken over somebody can be incredibly powerful. I remember uh, wow. one time I was at a men's retreat and getting encouraged in different aspects of what it was to be a father and a man and this kind of thing. And and uh, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and the retreat uh, meetings had ended. And I thought, you know, I, uh, at that time in my life, I was traveling quite a bit, speaking places and doing different things, and I was away from home quite a bit. And I thought to myself, you know, I want to call my son Toby up and just tell him that I love him. At this time, he was probably about maybe uh, eight or nine years old. And so 
I, I, uh, I, I got a phone booth. Remember those days? There were actually phone booths, right? I, I got to this phone booth and I, I got on the, on the phone. I called home. It was around 10. And, and I said to my wife, I said, is, uh, is, is Toby sleeping? It was the weekend. And uh, she said, no, I think he's, he might still be up. He's reading in bed or that kind of thing. And, and so I said, uh, I said, well, put him on the phone. And so Toby came to the phone and I said, hi to him. Hi, dad. You know, and I said, Toby, I said, I wanted to say something to you. And he said, what, dad? And I said, I love you more than my life. I love you more than my life, son. You, you mean everything to me. And I'm so, you, you just mean so much to me. And uh, so anyway, we talked a little bit more and thanks, dad, you know. And, and uh, the next day I came home after the retreat. And uh, when I came in, my wife looked at me and she said, what did you say to Toby last night? And I said, well, why? What, what do you mean? And she said, he was crying in bed. Uh, and, uh, and so I said to him, Toby, what did dad say to you? And he said, it wasn't what he said. He said, there was something about the way he said it that touched Toby deep in his heart. It's... It's so powerful just to speak words to a person. There's a great little story that I came across of one man describing his experience and his realization that he had allowed himself to tip into almost constant criticism with his child. It's called Father Forgets. Let me read this, uh, this little essay to you. Listen, son. I'm saying this as you lie asleep, one little paw crumpled under your cheek and the blonde curls stickily wet on your damp forehead. I have stolen into your room. Just a few minutes ago, as I was reading my paper, a stifling wave of remorse swept over me. Guiltily, I came to your bedside. These are the things I was thinking, son. I had been cross to you. I scolded you as you were dressing for school because you gave your face merely a dab with a towel. I took you to task for not cleaning your shoes, and I, I called out angrily when you threw some of your things on the floor. At breakfast, I found fault too. You spilled things. You gulped down your food. You put your elbows on the table. You spread the butter too thick on your bread. And as you started off to play, I made for, and I made for my train, you turned and waved a hand and said, goodbye, daddy. And I frowned and said in reply, hold your shoulders back. Then it began all over again in the late afternoon. As I came up the road, I spied you down on your knees playing marbles. marbles. There were holes in your uh, pants. I humiliated you before your boyfriends by marching you ahead of me to the house. Pants were expensive, and if you had to buy them, you would be more careful. Imagine that, son, from a father. Do you remember later when I was reading in the library how you came in timidly with a sort of hurt look in your eyes? When I glanced up over my paper impatiently at the interruption, you hesitated at the door. What is it you want? I snapped. You said nothing, but ran across in one tempestuous plunge and threw your arms around my neck and kissed me, and your small arms tightened with an affection that God had set blooming in your heart 
and which even neglect could not wither, and then you were gone, pattering up the stairs. Well, son, it was shortly afterwards that my papers slipped from my hands, and a terrible, sickening fear came over me. What had habit been doing to me? The habit of finding fault, of reprimanding. This was my reward to you for being a boy. It was not that I did not love you. It was that I expected too much of youth. I was measuring you by the yardstick of my own years. And there was so much that was good and fine and true in your character. The little heart of you, it was big as dawn itself over the wide hills. This was shown by your spontaneous impulse to rush and kiss me goodnight. Nothing else matters tonight, son. I've come to your bedside in the darkness, and I've knelt there ashamed. It's a feeble statement. I, you would, I know you would not understand these things if I told them to you during your waking hours, but tomorrow I will be a real daddy. I will buddy with you and suffer when you suffer and laugh when you laugh, and I will bite my tongue when impatient words come. I will keep saying if, if, as if it were a ritual, he is nothing but a boy, a little boy. That's so moving. Yeah, I, f- I find that story just always touches my heart so much. And, and it's just, I, the, I, what I love about it is the way it underlines how easily it is for us to just slip into a pattern, not even realizing it. Motivated by good motivations often, wanting to see our kids improve and wanting to see our kids grow and wanting to see our kids be better. And it, it's coming from a, from a good place, but the end result of it is a constant battering of negativity, a constant correcting, a constant uh, fine-tuning of things instead of just a simple affirmation of, hi, hey, I love you just the way you are, and we're going to make it together, and we're going to grow in these different areas. And uh, it's just a very powerful, uh, powerful thing, I think. I want to end on that note. To hear the rest of the interview with Mike Cavanaugh, go to episode 11. Keep growing and take good care.